Marcheseau slides it around the rim. He's got Eichel, top of the left circle, closing in. He shoots, he scores! Jack Eichel, power play goal! Because one hour isn't enough, we welcome you back for hour number two of the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Wah looks up, taps it back to Donov in the middle, he shoots, he scores! Jubilation! Vegas in overtime! Chevrolet, Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios, and live at LVSportsNetwork.com with your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Hour number two, VGK Insider Show, Ryan Wallace, Chris Chapman. I cannot wait for Colorado-St. Louis puck drop in just a little bit. Colorado Avalanche looking to advance to the conference final for the first time since 2002. I don't know about you, Chapman, but I say they do it. We'll we'll see how it goes. I, I'm not sold on the St. Louis Blues playing hockey in this game. Like, I'm not sold on the idea that this team's going to be able to compartmentalize and de-emphasize Nazem Kadri. I just I think for Kadri, the minute Jordan Bennington threw a water bottle at him was the minute you knew the Blues were losing this series. Because the focus, the emphasis was not on hockey. It was on settling a score. And a score for something that was phantom in and of itself. And that's why I want to pull on this thread here in hour number two, at least to start. We talked about unlikable teams in the first round. We talked about teams that had players that maybe we just didn't like or didn't want to see succeed. We've talked about villains on this program, Darren in hour number one, made the case of we could see Nazem Kadri versus Evander Kane in the conference final. And while I don't view Nazem Kadri, at least this year anyway, as a villain, the opportunity is certainly there for those two players to butt heads in a series, for those two players to have explosive moments on the ice, and for those two teams to absolutely despise each other by the end of a seven-game series. Yeah, um, you know, it's funny because I think both guys certainly have a history of being, I'd say, a a little over the top at times. Um, I I like Nazem Kadri as a player. I think, yeah, there are are times where where he maybe does take things a little too far, but, man, he's a really, really good hockey player. The same goes for Evander Kane. He's a really, really good hockey player as well. It's almost like you, you, you kind of ask yourself, why can't the guy just play hockey? Like, why does he have to be a bonehead? Like, why why does he have to go out there and do stupid things? Like, the guy is so talented, and it's very clear to me that he's elevated, and, and obviously it's not just him, but he has given the Oilers something that I think that maybe they've kind of lacked, mm. and that's that's a guy who's tough, yep. who, who, who isn't afraid to mix it up, a guy who will get in front of the goalie and create problems. And and look, Calgary is, is having a really difficult time Kind of, kind of, uh, uh, you know, handling that, and and with Kane, it's 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 so frustrating because the guy's so talented. With Kadri, I I don't think he gets as bad. There's people who don't like him, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that maybe he did play in Toronto for a long time. Well, I, the, the, in to, in fairness, he's done a lot of really dangerous, reckless stuff on the ice. He's been suspended in the playoffs quite a bit. It's happened year well, after year, year after year. However. People can change. Yes. Right? Like, if Tom Wilson 
is able to go through an entire season without injuring somebody, without being suspended, why are we not giving the same benefit of the doubt to Nazem Kadri? That's the only, like, that's it. And, and to continue to bring up the hit on Justin Falk, where he was suspended, it hurt his team, effectively eliminated the Colorado Avalanche because he was not available in a series against Vegas where Colorado absolutely needed the depth scoring he would have provided. So he hurt his team that way. And then since has fought not just Braden Shen, but also Justin Falk himself. That, to me, that issue, that matter, it's done, it's closed, it's over with. That has no bearing on what happened or didn't happen or who's to blame or isn't to blame for what happened to Jordan Binnington. And while we're on the topic of Jordan Binnington, can we just say either fight or stop? Because with Jordan Bennington, what we're seeing out of him is one of those players that really tries to get into an altercation, that really tries hard to ruffle the feathers, that really wants so desperately to get into a fight, only to very easily be pushed away by a linesman. Well, he he's he, a fake tough guy. Yeah, he he's. I mean, they used to have a penalty for it. I, I don't see it called very often, but he's an instigator. Yeah, he he is. He's the guy who will egg someone on, egg you on, egg you on. He's the opposite of the United Airlines employee, right? <laughs> because he very the, the United Airlines employee w- could have egged this guy on all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at least that guy came out from behind his desk. Yeah. Like Bennington is the guy who eggs you on, eggs you on, and then he'll hide behind his friend or or he'll hide behind the net or he'll let the linesman as you said push him out of the way. You know, there, there's something with Bennington because he, it's obviously not the first time he's been involved in, mm-hmm. in something like this. I mean, and you mentioned Kadri. He also had a goalie stick swung at him sure. by Jordan Bennington. Yeah. So um, he he has answered the bell, so to speak, mm-hmm. for, for the hit on Justin Falk. I don't think there's a bell to answer. I thought the David Perron cross-check on him. And which Perron was fined for, and then the subsequent missed elbow, I thought it was was pretty dirty. Sure, from from Perron, um, there there clearly was intent, right? Well, he didn't actually hit Kadri. Like that's some of the stuff I saw on Twitter yesterday. Yeah, people people defending it. Well, he didn't hit Kadri, so it's kind of hard. No, mm-hmm. it's it's not hard. The guy scored a goal, and David Perron decided he was going to try to elbow Nazem Kadri after the goal. Like Dale Hunter did that. To Pierre Turgeon in, a, in a, not not the same exact type of way, but in a similar situation, many many years ago. I mean, I was a kid, but I grew up with some Islander fans, so I remember it very vividly. And, and it was it was vile then. So if David Perron had connected to Nazem, first of all, I think there would have been an absolute brawl well, in, that, in that arena. The, a lot of things would have happened if if David Perron connects with that elbow. Nazem Kadri's laid out, probably done for the series. Yes. Okay. There's certainly a suspension, and it's probably a big one. Yes. And it's an ugly stain on what should be and could be a really good series if the St. Louis Blues decided to play hockey. And and to me, like the cross-check, whatever. He got fined for it. He only got fined for the cross-check because you can't suspend him for attempting an elbow. But the fact of the matter is, David Perron probably should not be playing this game. No. Probably not. And, and as much as you can't 
suspend an act that never happened. One of the hardest things for Department of Player Safety is to judge intent in a game that's incredibly fast. We look at hits, we slow them down, we look at them from different angles, and oftentimes we say or we address intent or not intent. This is a hit gone bad, this was a situation where he couldn't do anything else, he couldn't change his trajectory, or it was predatory, he went, th he went for it. This is the clearest play to judge intent. David Perron intended to go out there and annihilate Nazem Kadri. The only problem is that Kadri saw it, got out of the way, and it didn't connect. But it doesn't change the fact that the intent was there. It doesn't change the fact that David Perron, in that moment, in that game, was looking to headhunt. He was looking to injure the guy. And, and that, to me, has no place in the game. I understand why he's playing. I understand why David Perron wasn't suspended. You cannot suspend a play that never happened. But you absolutely have to look at the idea and what that video shows. And that is another player trying to injure another player. Let me let me ask you this. Let's let's change the, the situation. Let's say that's Brad Marchand mm -hmm. and not David Perron. Mm -hmm. What is the reaction from the hockey world? Because I, I would imagine that there probably would not be as many people defending Perron. Mm -hmm. As if it, because if it, if it was Marshawn, people would be calling for the guy to be suspended. Oh, for sure. And and to me, that's that's the issue, right? Marshawn Marshawn has a history of being an agitator. Uh, I think Perron. Same could be said for Perron. Yeah, I mean, look, all, all I think I mentioned it yesterday. All you need to do is look at when David Perron came to Vegas as mm -hmm. a member of the St. Louis Blues. Yep. And it may have been the first time. Actually, I think it was the crazy wild game where where they came back from like three goals down in the third period or whatever it was. And Max Pacioretty had enough of David Perron. Yeah. And rather than standing up to Max Pacioretty, David Perron turtled in the corner. Yeah. Because he did not want to fight Max Pacioretty. So, and I like David Perron. I, th I thought he was a, he was great with us, with the media. He's a great player. He's, he's, he's a guy who's a winner. But there's just something about that. And if, if we don't call it out, mm -hmm. I feel like we're doing a disservice to the sport. Because... I think it's hard to call out guys that you like and guys that you have a, a good relationship with, but like it's crap. It's crap what he did. Yeah. And and it, it should have been called out. And and I understand why why some people would defend it. Oh well, well Kadri had it coming. Well, no, he didn't. He didn't do anything. No, he didn't. And and if he did, here's the other thing. Why if if, if what Kadri did was so bad, why did DPS not get involved? Well, because it was a nothing play. Exactly. It was a nothing play. Exactly. That's and, it. And so the, the entire reason for this conversation is to pull on the thread of villains. And, and I know that Darren and I got into an argument. We'll, we'll probably rehash this tomorrow when he's on in hour number one on the VGK Insider Show. I like it. But to paint Nazem Kadri right now as a villain... To me, misses the mark, right? Like, and and listen, we're not talking about like super villains or anything like that. We're talking about billing games. We're talking about building excitement. We're talking about players that get under your skin if you are an opposing player or an opposing fan base. But the only villain right now in the playoffs, I think after the second round, it's the St. Louis Blues. Well, like they have become. They have transitioned from 
likable to unlikable over the course of four games against a team in Colorado that I think a lot of people have a hard time rooting for. Well, I will I will take it a step further. I will say that Nazem Kadri has kind of turned into the anti-villain. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy who who there it was an unfortunate situation, but he receives death threats. Yep. He he's he's the victim of of racism. Mm-hmm. People mentioning his Muslim. I mean, some of the stuff I saw about him being Muslim, yeah. it made me want to throw up. So for him to then go out and score three goals in the game, right? Like that's what we cheer for. That's the stuff that we write stories about. That's hero stuff. And I don't care about his past. I'm talking about this particular moment in time. Nassim Kadri is in, and, in the game of hockey right now. And there's always going to be that seed of doubt in the back of your mind. Given Nazem Kadri's history, given his penchant for bad hits in the playoffs, you're always going to wonder whether he gets to the third round, whether he gets to a Stanley Cup final. Is there going to be a moment where he crosses a line? That's always going to be there, and there's really not going to be anything that he can do other than not have those moments continue to crop up. But what you're seeing from Kadri in this situation is a player that's incredibly mentally strong. To deal with what he dealt with over the course of those two days, three days, in St. Louis, and go out, have a hat trick. And and the other thing that that like blew me away were the ideas or the thoughts or the commentary that Nazem Kadri, after scoring his second and third goal of the game, should not have celebrated the way that he did, should not have taunted the crowd the way that he did. Why not? Why not? Yeah. You know what? You look at what he had to deal with. You look at all the garbage that he had to read over the course of those three days. You think about the security detail that needed to be there for him. You taunt that crowd as much as you want. You don't like it, don't let them score. You don't like it, go play hockey. And that's my biggest argument. That's my biggest issue with the St. Louis Blues. They didn't play hockey. They were too busy trying to settle a score over a play that did not result because Nazem Kadri was reckless or because he was trying to injure Jordan Binnington. And that is why the Blues are one loss away from being eliminated. And to be honest with you, it's why they have gone from a likable team to an unlikable team. And that is why I don't know where people are with villains. Because, like, you could even see the same thread right now with Evander Kane to a lesser degree. But I'd make the argument that right now what Evander Kane is doing by virtue of the fact that Connor McDavid is playing out of his mind and you're getting the best out of Connor McDavid. And you've got Evander Kane with 12 goals right now in the playoffs. All of a sudden, the Edmonton Oilers have become more likable. And I think a lot of it has to stem from Milan Lucic. And the hit on Mike Smith. (laughs) You have teams going out there and doing dumb things in the course of a game. And all of a sudden, it's flipping the script and changing the perception of some of the players. I don't know that there are any villains right now in the playoffs. Because with every goal that Evander Kane scores and every moment that passes, every game that goes by where Evander doesn't do something dirty and doesn't do something that puts his team in a hole and every moment and bit of success that you're getting with McDavid and and Dreisaitl, Dreisaitl becoming likable is a big one for me. Because he's becoming likable, he's playing through it. He's got 
a lower body injury. He's being targeted on that injury. He's getting slashed in the ankles. He's getting targeted every single time he's on the ice. But you know what he's not doing? And it's not something we've seen from Leon throughout his career. You know what he's not doing? And Darren brought it up yesterday with McDavid. He's not complaining. He's just going about his business. And that is turning teams that we didn't want to see succeed. Teams that a lot of fans looked at and, and were tired of. All of a sudden now, it's like this hero arc. And I, I guess the question for me, Chatlin, like between Colorado and Edmonton, who has the more likable, I can't believe we're here, but the more likable hero arc? Well, I, I won't go as far to say as Evander Kane's not a villain. I think Evander Kane will always be a villain. I think it's softening. I uh, I, I don't know. There's a lot of off-the-ice stuff that makes it difficult for him to... to I'm to, right there with you, but I'm talking about right now. Well, and, and, you know, we talked this about moment, it. We talked about it in the break. What Evander Kane is doing is... Oh, we just talked about it, I think. Yeah. I, but he he's making it very, very difficult for Calgary to, to, to have an answer because he's tough. He's added something that, that this team has lacked for, for a long time, I think. And that's a guy to get in the get in the face of the goalie, guy who's not afraid to mix it up. And I think Edmonton is a better team for it. Look, if they end up winning the Stanley Cup, and I know that's a big if, mm-hmm. I think that signing of Evander Kane will go down as one of the best midseason moves a team has made probably in the last ten to fifteen years. You know what's gonna suck about that? If they win the cup. No, and no. He, what's that? We're gonna have to praise Ken Holland for it. <laughs> well, and don't forget they fired their coach midseason too. Yeah. So, so um, you know, some some good midseason management there by by Edmonton. But I I'll tell you, I I've always liked Drysaddle the player. I didn't necessarily like him off the ice, but the player, I I think he's he's you know he's just phenomenal. It's yep. it's incredible to watch. You know, he he's like an engine, and he's always going, and 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 obviously. You know, I I'm I'm I feel so lucky that I do this for a living because I've gotten to watch the best player in the world play multiple times in in this building here in Vegas, and and everyone who's been to one of those Oiler Golden Knight games can say the same that they've seen the very best. It's like watching Gretzky when he was in his prime. I mean, that's just how good he is. So I I, I think Edmonton is some somewhat likable. I like Mike Smith. I've I've always been a big Darnell oh, Nurse fan. Oh man! Oh man! Well, I, I, you like Mike Smith? I I don't think he's I don't think he's as bad as you make him out to be. Okay, here's the thing. And I didn't think I'd get here. I find myself wanting Mike Smith to be good because <laughs> because he's he's gotten this deep now into the playoffs where he's played well. Like you can't really argue that he's played poorly. Like and and like I want to go back to a question that you asked me after Game One of the Battle of Alberta, should they have pulled Mike Smith? Like, if they didn't pull Mike Smith, would he have been able to find his game? Well, I think we got the answer to that in game number two. Yeah. Because he was shaky to start, and then he was lights out the rest of the way. I'm not saying that all of a sudden, I overnight, I've become a Mike Smith fan. Not at all. But I do find myself rooting for him to be better. Rooting for him to keep this up, and I don't know why that's happening to me. Well, I, I I think maybe part of you wants to see see him win. I I think he he's he's an older guy, right? He's 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 forty, so I think we we want to see guys like that succeed. He's been around a long time. He's he's never gotten his name on the cup, and I think 
I think maybe we'd, we'd kind of like to see a guy like that pull it off. I mean, I, I don't know if I would want to, if I want to see Edmonton win the cup. I mean, I think it'd be incredible if they end up playing Tampa. I mean, obviously they still have a long way to go uh, five more wins before they even get to that, to that spot. But I, I, I think Mike Smith is, is a guy that maybe you root for, because I think maybe we all see some of us in Mike Smith as we get older, we, we kind of wish that maybe we could do the things that Mike Smith is still doing at, at uh, on, on the other side of 40. So, um, uh, I know I do. I'm 43, and I wake up every day, and I, I'm like, You're I can't. In pain. I, it's like, yeah. how do I do this? And this guy here, he is playing in the second round of the playoffs, and he's been great. So, um, I, I think Mike Smith is is a guy that I root for. Like I said, I like Darnell Nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just I, I can't root for Evander Kane, but I think I can root for in other individual players on Edmonton. I just I. So you think the Oilers are still the villain? I don't think they're the villain. I think they have a player who's the villain. Is there one team that stands out to you as the villain of the playoffs? I'll be I'll be honest right now. It's something we're not even talking about, but I think Carolina has done a heel turn. <laughs> really? Because I, I you know, the the Domi stuff at the end of the game and boy, he got lit up yesterday. Okay. Uh, All but right. but I think they went from from the lovable jerks to kind of like, "Hey, these guys are kind of cheap." Yeah. And I don't know. I the funny thing is, I never in my life could have imagined that I would root for the Rangers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I grew up hating the New York Rangers, but when you get when you get into this, you kind of detach yourself a little bit. I, I obviously like Gerard Gallant. I I, I like Ryan Reeves. Mm-hmm. I think Artemi Panarin is fun to watch. I'm a big Mika Zibanejad fan, and I don't know how you can't get excited watching Igor Shosturkin. Like it, they are. For for personally for me, mm-hmm. they've kind of done that face turn in wrestling. They turned their back on the bad guy and became the good guy. I I I want to see the Rangers make a run. I really do. So the way I look at, like, I just want to see Shesterkin versus Vasilevsky, right? Like, yes, that conference final between those two goaltenders would be absolute fire. Mainly because I I don't think anything is going to get to either club. Like, it could legitimately be. 2-1, one, one, nothing the entire way, and it'll be fun because Vasilevsky and Shesterkin are going to put it on the show. And could we get two more different personalities than John Cooper and Gerard Colant in oh, the yeah. Conference Final? Yeah. I mean, because Cooper, is he's just so easygoing and laid back, and he seems like he's, you know, his team taking taking days on the beach and off days. And You know what? You know what you, I think? Could I, you I, imagine I, the Golden Knights year one going to Huntington Beach <laughs> during I, in between the series with game three and four with the, with the Kings? I'll be honest. I don't think that John Cooper's laid back. I think John Cooper knows exactly what his team needs. I yeah. think I think what you're seeing with John Cooper and the Tampa Bay Lightning is a coach that's so in tune with his group. And there are things that he doesn't necessarily want, but he can live with because he knows exactly what he's going to get on the ice. Yeah, I think I think that's a pretty first statement because he he's he's like in tune. He it's almost like a yin, like a feng shui thing. It's synergy. Yeah, like it, it is a coach that knows how to push the buttons of his players, and it is a group, a collective of players that, that will respond. do anything for their coach. And that is born out of what, Chapman? It's born out of the ability to come back with the same group. It's born out of an idea that you grow together, you go through your lumps together, you fail together in order to come out on the other side as champions. And that 
is where I will make the comparison between the Golden Knights and Tampa. It's not there right now. I know that when it comes to Vegas, this is a team that wants to model themselves after what the Tampa Bay Lightning well, have done. Every team should want to model themselves after what the Lightning have done. I agree 100% because you're that successful, you're doing something right. But part of the success for Tampa was knowing when to bring back the core after things didn't go their way. Yeah. Patience, stability. To me, over the course of this offseason, those are the most important facets for the Golden Knights going into next year. The only way you're going to get over the hump is to create that core and allow them to go through everything together. That is the way for the Golden Knights to get over the hump. It's the way for this team to move closer to a Stanley Cup. Patience and stability. And I think one of the most important pieces goes back to our guest in hour number one, and that's Riley Smith, and finding a way to make that contract happen so that you have a big piece of the original core, you have a big piece of your leadership coming back in order to help this team get to where they need to be. That, to me, is the big thing for the Golden Knights. That, to me, is what they take out of seeing Tampa continue to have success with a core that a lot of people didn't think could win. Well, and, and you look at some of the guys that they've brought in, too. I look at a guy like Pierre Edward Belmar. They lose they lose a couple guys from last season's team. And what do they do? They go and they bring in a guy who's a locker room guy, a guy who is the glue that kind of holds things together. Pierre Edward Belmar is not going to... He's not going to complain about his playing time. He's not going to complain about his role. He's a guy who comes in. He knows exactly what is. I'll never forget when when the Golden Knights drafted him from the Philadelphia Flyers. My cousin, who is a big, big Philadelphia Flyers fan, texted me and said, you are absolutely going to love this guy. He said he doesn't do anything flashy, but he is just a guy who, without him, you know, there, there, there's there's not a lot of guys like him. He's just one of those players who fits a fits a role. Mm-hmm. He knows his job, and he goes out, and he's really, really good at his job. He doesn't need to go out and score 20 goals. He doesn't need to score 10 goals. If he adds in four or five goals, but the, the, the killing of the penalties, it's the little things, and Tampa is great at identifying when they got Blake Coleman from the Devils. He was a guy who wasn't, wasn't a star. But at the deadline, that's the guy they identified as, as being a guy. And and what what happens? They go out and they win two Stanley Cups with Blake Coleman. Yep. You're exactly right. We're back with one-timers next on the VGK Insider Show right here, Fox Sports, Las Vegas. Maybe a two-on-one. Petrangelo gets it. He shoots. He scores. It's time for one-timers. One-timers. Short-handed goal. Alex Petrangelo. Quick looks at some of the biggest stories of the day on the VGK Insider Show. One-timers brought to you by Paul Powell. More lawyers, less fee. News and notes from around the NHL. Tom Wilson, keeping the trend on villains alive, will be out six to eight months after having ACL surgery on his knee. If you do the math, that puts Tom Wilson out until January, somewhere thereabouts. Like the question that I have, can the Capitals do anything at the beginning of the year without Tom Wilson? The reason that I ask that is there's question marks about Nick Backstrom. Alex Ovechkin's going to be another year older. 
Tom Wilson is a player and he's at an age where he moves the needle in a positive way. He's hard-nosed. He plays hard. Could say he crosses the line often. Like, it hasn't happened in a while. The Capitals are in that precarious position where one injury away from being a bad team. I wonder if starting the year without Tom Wilson accelerates that process. Yeah, I, I think they're a team that, that could be in a bit of trouble. Um, their window appears to have closed. I think at this point, the only reason you hang on mm-hmm. is to watch the great eight break <laughs> the great ones yeah. goal record. They will not win another Stanley Cup in the Ovechkin era. It's done. The book is closed on them. He got his one, and it's very cool that yep. he got his one. Yep. But you're right. There, there's there's way too many health question marks with this team. They still are not set at the goaltender position, regardless of who they, they may have uh, on the roster right now. Mm-hmm. I, I just I, I can't get behind them being, I don't think they make the playoffs. I mean, I think if the Islanders don't start out, in the situation that they were mm-hmm. to start the season. I have a hard time believing the Capitals would have made the playoffs over them. It's over. It's done. And it's uh, we're, we'll just hang on to watch Ovechkin break the record now. So you already said you don't think that they're going to make the playoffs, which is fine. Like, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I'm going to give you three teams and you give me the ranking of most likely to miss to least likely to miss. Okay. Washington. Boston, Pittsburgh. Well, I think there's there's a lot of question marks with, with both of those teams, or all three of those teams, I should say. I will never bet against Sidney Crosby, mm-hmm. so I, I will put them out of the three. Least likely? Least likely to miss. I think if Patrice Bergeron is not a member of the Boston Bruins next year, I think there's there's enough there that I feel like they could still... You know, they still have Marshawn. They obviously still have Pasternak. I still feel like they, they have enough, and they have a great coach in Bruce Cassidy. So I, I will put them in the middle, and I think the most likely to miss will be the Washington Capitals. Okay. I'm not too far off from that. I, I think what happens with Boston and specifically Pittsburgh, Malkin, Latang, those are the big questions now with Brian Rust kind of locked up. Um I don't know where I'm at with the Penguins. Yeah. I know exactly where I'm at with the Boston Bruins. If Patrice Bergeron hangs them up, they're not going to be good. We know they're not going to be good. Um, end of an era for those teams, right? Like those yeah. teams in the, yeah. from the lockout on, from 2005 on, Boston, Pittsburgh, Washington have been mainstays in the playoff hunt, in the playoff picture, Stanley Cup contention. It's the end of an era. Yeah, you got a, a win by the Bruins. I think, was it a loss? Maybe, was it two losses? No, one loss by the Bruins to St. Louis a couple of years ago. So, so yeah, they were right there. The Capitals obviously had those epic battles with the Penguins. But I think if you look at the East, I think there's some up-and-coming teams that, that I think Buffalo is a team to keep an eye on. I think Detroit is also a team to keep an eye on. And I think we're going to start to witness a changing of the guard for some of these teams in the East. We're going to see a rise of teams that have been the punching bag for the last decade or so. Hmm. And I think some of these teams that have done the punching, I think they're gonna they're gonna start sliding down down the track a little bit. Speaking of punching bags, uh oh, Pierre Dorian. Oh no! Come 
won. I thought you were going to play the drop. Yeah. You're setting up for I, it. I, well, you like, know, I, I say, speaking of punching bags, yeah. <laughs> Pierre Dorian, you, know you, 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 make the, you make the movement <laughs> that you're going to play the drop, and then you just you just don't? What I, are you doing? I, I did play it. The problem is I didn't have the volume on. Oh, Chapman. Yeah. <laughs> you're the villain of this show right now. I try. Come on. I try. <laughs> speaking of punching bags, Pierre Dorian said that he's open to trading the Senators' first-round pick for a, quote, impact player. Seventh overall pick in the NHL entry draft. What do you think he means by impact player? Uh, I think a star. Okay. Um, You know, there, there's something... There's a lot of teams that are willing yeah. to give those up. Yes. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, I, I, I have to look and see. I think a better course of action if Colum if... if if Pierre Dorian was serious about this, mm -hmm. why not sign someone to an offer sheet? Why not go after an I mean, if you're willing to trade your first round pick, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I think there's there's probably some good RFAs coming up. Uh, one, I think, plays in Columbus. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I'm not saying Patrick Laine would be willing to go to Ottawa, <sighs> but if you give him enough money and you build the team around him, why not just sign him to an offer sheet? Like, why do you have to trade the pick? Sign that guy. You're going to lose it anyway. And like you said, there's not a lot of it's not it's not like Pierre is going to call up the Golden Knights and George McPhee is going to or or Kelly McCrimmon is going to say, yeah, we'll we'll take a first round pick for Mark Stone. Mm -hmm. Like that's not going to happen. So you're you're looking for restricted free agents more more than anything, right? Like that's kind of where I think Pierre Dorian's leaning here. Like you're looking at younger players that you've got marginally cost-controlled, or at least you know are going to be a part of your organization for a while. You're not looking at an unrestricted free agent that's probably on the wrong side of his mid-20s. Now, you bring up Patrick Line, I think that's interesting. Matthew Kachuk's a name that's out there for sure, in that he's a restricted free agent. You would imagine that the number is going to be astronomical. And then there's the, like the bit that his brother plays there. Yes. So, like, if you're Calgary, would you even entertain that? Because I wouldn't. Like, to me, I know there's questions about Johnny Gaudreau. I know there's questions about Matthew Kachuk. I know that it's going to be a tough negotiation. But you cannot let Matthew Kachuk move on from the Calgary Flames. You need to build and create and grow this team around Matthew Kachuk. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, imagine how different that team looks if they lose both Kachuk and Johnny Goudreau. Yep. I don't think it'll happen. But, you know, there's another name that, that came across my, my, my list here. Yep. And I think you look at another team that plays in Canada, the Pacific Northwest. And Brock Besser is a restricted free agent. Mm -hmm. And Calgary or Vancouver doesn't really have a lot of cap space. To where if you offer sheet that guy, how Vancouver would be able to match it. But I think Matthew Kachuk's a better player than Brock Besser. I, oh, he's I, absolutely a better player and, than and, Brock Besser. And you, the the intrigue of his brother, right? Like they just signed him to a big deal. Mm -hmm. They made him the captain. How would that dynamic work? Oh my god! Well, yeah, but but can you imagine the two of them playing together. But your younger brother's your captain. Could hey, you imagine that? We we, we should have asked Riley. You know, cool. he, he wears the A, but what if Brendan comes on the team and they decide to give him a letter? <laughs> oh, boy. I, 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 I'm telling you right now, and fortunately in my situation, like, I am the younger brother. Yeah. 
If I had a younger brother, there's no way I'd accept him being my captain. <laughs> there's just no way that would work for me in any facet. See, I couldn't I, do it. I had to live with that because I, I was the older brother. Mm -hmm. And my growing up, my brother was the better baseball player. And we played on the same team. Mm -hmm. And I had to sit the bench while I watched my younger brother strike out players, hit home runs, just do all the things that good baseball players do. And I had to I had to deal with the fact that I was on the bench watching him do it. So, um, you know, I, I, I would imagine if I was getting paid money to play, I probably would have been okay with it. But I can tell you, as a 12-year-old, it sucked. So here's an interesting thought that I had. When it comes to the idea of an impact player, and I, I guess this kind of depends on your classification of what impact means. You look at the Minnesota Wild. You understand the cap doldrums that they're going to be in over the next couple of seasons by virtue of buying out two of the worst contracts in NHL history. Kevin Fiala, restricted free agent. Is that enough of an impact? Is that enough of a of a dangle the carrot in front of Pierre Dorian that that, that makes sense? And is it worth it to Minnesota Wild team that could probably use a top 10 pick given what their cap's going to look like over the next couple of years? That's interesting. Uh, I, I still like Matthew Kachuk better. Of course you but, do. But I, I, I think Fiala's interesting. I just don't think that's happening. Yeah, I think Fiala's interesting because he's obviously a, a really, really good player. Uh, he's only 25 years old. So there's obviously a, a idea that he hasn't quite hit his prime yet. I think if you're Ottawa, you have to do whatever you can to get better. Look, mm -hmm. they, they've picked in the top 10 how many times in the last five years? It seems like every year they're in the top 10. They've got some good players. Stutzla is really good. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Batherson, who they signed to a long-term deal, he's good. But you need you need a star. You don't have a star. I like Thomas Shabbat, but I wouldn't say he's a star. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you're Ottawa, you have to do something. Do it. Take take the risk. I like Fiala. I think I think he'd be a good signing for them. And for Minnesota, you're right. They have to get. They're going to have to start building through the draft because. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be able to get any free agents, at least not for the next three years or so. Ultimately, what do you think happens? Ottawa does nothing. <laughs> <laughs> the time is nigh. No, it's not. It's not nigh for anything. I, I think, I, like, I'm right there with you. I would be shocked. I would be surprised if the Ottawa Senators do not pick seventh in the draft, just because I don't know what impact you're going to get. Yeah. Right? Like, you're not talking about a top three pick. Like, you're... Top... Number seven's fine, but I don't think that there are going to be enough teams that are going to be lining up to move a player that either they can get under a good contract or a player that they think can help them in order to draft seventh. I just don't think it's going to happen. Like, I, I appreciate Pierre Dorian having everything in play. I don't think anything's going to happen with it, though. Yeah, I, I well, and it's also a time of a time of change in Ottawa. Obviously, mm -hmm. uh, the passing of Eugene Melnick, there's going to be some ownership changes probably taking place. So I, I'm going to be curious to see what happens with the Ottawa Senators over the next few years. But you know what? I mean, if you're an Ottawa Senator fan, mm -hmm. at some point you just got to get sick of it. I mean, this is a team that was that was making noise not that long ago. Yep, and now 
like you said, punching bag. Yep. Live look in. Nathan McKinnon, two. St. Louis, nothing. Just a minute and a half left in the first period of game number five. The Colorado Colorado Avalanche looking to eliminate the St. Louis Blues. Get out of the second round for the first time since 2002. And they're looking pretty good through the first 20 minutes of this game. That's going to do it for one-timers. Brought to you by Paul Powell. More lawyers, less fee. For today, Wednesday, May 25th. We're back to wrap it up next. Catching up with Chapman. When the guy wouldn't stop talking, we had no choice but to give him his own segment. It's time for Catching Up with Chapman. So I showed up to work today, and I like every other day I check my email when I show up. We have to do a uh, mm-hmm. like a, a health thing to let everyone know that we don't have COVID. Sure. And uh, I saw an email, and I didn't even realize today is my six-year anniversary with Lotus Broadcasting. And uh, I was thinking about it. I'm like, you know, it's funny. I, I, I remember being hired. Mm-hmm. And you and our friend Jamie Gore, the Hammer, mm-hmm. you guys both interviewed me in your in your office. Yeah. But the funny thing is, it's actually my second go round with Lotus Broadcasting. Yeah. I was here from 2004 until 2010, so it's technically my 12 year anniversary with Lotus Broadcasting. I'm just thinking how lucky I am to have uh, been able to work 12 years of my adult life in the same company. Like not everybody has that has that option and. You know, has that opportunity, and and every single day I show up in this building, mm-hmm. and I say this: no, no lie, no BS. I've worked crappy jobs, I've worked awful jobs. This is the best place I've ever worked, and I'm so happy every day when I get in my car and I drive here and I walk in this building because I know how lucky I am to work in 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 for this company mm-hmm. and uh, doing something I love and and am passionate about. So, uh, you know, I hope everyone listening they they are in a similar situation. And if not, go out and do stuff to make it better. Because, like I said, I've worked terrible jobs. I've worked jobs that I've absolutely hated getting up in the morning and going to. And I, I've been, I was humbled. And to come back and be able to do this for another six years is, is just fantastic. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm blessed to do it. I don't need to add anything to that. Everybody have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Congratulations, Chapman.